Welcome to Friends in Fiction, five best-selling authors and the stories. Novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, Patty Callahan Henry, and Mary Alice Monroe are five longtime friends with more than 80 published books to their credit. In 2020, they created Friends in Fiction to provide author interviews and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing, and to highlight independent bookstores. These friends discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Hi there. Hello, everybody. How are you doing? Welcome to Friends in Fiction. (laughs) We are so happy you're here. I'm Kristen Harmel. I'm Christy Woodson Harvey. I'm Patty Callahan Henry. I'm Mary Alice Monroe. And I'm Mary Kay Andrews. And this is Friends in Fiction, five New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories, all to remind you to shop local when you can and to keep supporting independently owned bookstores. Tonight, we are thrilled to have with us not one, but two renowned authors, Mary Bly, who you might know under her pen name, Eloisa James, and Sonali Dev. Sonali's new book, Incense and Sensibility, coming July 6th, is an Indian-American spin on Jane Austen's Sense and Sensibility. And Mary's new book, Lizzie and Dante, which just came out yesterday, is her first under her real name. And it revolves around a Shakespeare scholar, which just so happens to be exactly what Mary is. We'll talk to both of them about drawing inspiration from the classics, how the central theme of love carries us through the centuries, how books can expose us to other cultures and expand our worlds, and what it's like to balance life and a writing career. But first, we want to thank our incredible partner, Mama Geraldine's, whose cheese straws and cookies we all love. Mm We've all had busy months with recent book releases. (laughs) It's nice to know if someone drops by in the midst of the chaos, like Delia dropped by on me last week. We have something delicious to entertain with. As always, you can get 20% off your order at mamageraldines.com with the code FAB5. And you know what goes really great with cheese straws? What's that? What is it? What is it? Wine. (laughs) Really good wine. Especially good wine that is a match made in heaven for book lovers. We are so excited to announce that beginning right now, we are kicking off the summer of story points on friends and fiction. Each week, the after show will be called Sip and Stay with Story Point, and it will be sponsored by Story Point Wines. And it's hard to say after you've had a couple glasses and of Story right. Point wine. The Sip and Stay. <laughs> what is wrong with us? Story. Right. <laughs> anyway, this distinction distinctive collection of flavorful (laughs) wines, Cabernet Sauvignon, Pinot Noir, and Chardonnay, my favorite, from California's best growing regions, seeks to champion stories that inspire, like us. After all, many great stories and ideas unfold over a shared bottle of wine. The experience of a wine, like that of a good book, should tell you something, invite you to discover new things, and surprise you, right? 
Yeah. So stick around after the show each week, all summer long. And we are going to indulge in stories and sips and surprises. And since our first, this is our first night partnering with StoryPoint, we might have a big surprise for you later tonight. <laughs> In the meantime, yes, we hope so. In the, we love surprises. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, want to be part of the fun? If you're 21 or over, you can become a StoryPoint Insider by subscribing to their newsletter and following them on Facebook and Instagram. You can find those links under announcements on our Facebook page, as well as on our partner page on our website at www.friendsandfiction.com. We are all really excited about this partnership. In a bit, we'll also be telling you about our featured bookseller of the week, Book Culture in New York City, who will be offering 10% off of our books, including Mary's and Sonali's with code FF21. You know how much we love our indie booksellers and how much it means to us to keep supporting them whenever we can. And we love it when you do also. We also wanted to announce another fairly exciting thing. (laughs) Something that we have been giddy about for the past hour, and now you get to know too, which is that Kristen's book that we all love, The Book of Lost Names, came out in paperback last week. And it turns out that she's been keeping some news under her hat. It's actually the book of the month. We are now calling her Miss June. (laughs) For the whole month of June. Congratulations, Miss June. Congratulations, Miss June. I I expect to be addressed that way from here on out, please. If if that's not too much to ask. You have no choice, my dear. You are Miss June. You're Miss June. And if you get the Costco magazine, (laughs) she is the centerfold. Yep. So I feel like we need to My mention baby that. Is I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I think that maybe Kristen might have some additional news for us tonight too. Like maybe something to do with a certain newspaper and a certain list that we all really want to be on. <laughs> Um, maybe, maybe (laughs) is number five on the paper. Number five on the New York times list. You guys, thank you so much. Um, I, you know, just not to, oh, you're so sweet. Not, not to bore anybody with this, but I just, I I could not have done it without you all. I mean, the five of you, Meg behind the scenes, Sean and Alan behind the scenes and (laughs) all of you out there, like this whole community, but it's, it's just been, it's the five of us and you're number five. Day. It's such a good day. Thank you so much. I'm really so so grateful to all of you out there. We're so proud of you and you really deserve it. And especially after the debacle of (laughs) putting it, putting out the hardback and the pandemic and all the craziness that ensued. And I know we need to move on, but I wanted to say something too. It's our 71st episode. And I think it's the first time that we actually said all our names without a hitch. <laughs> you know, are Ouch. you looking at me? Are you looking Ouch. at me? <laughs> I think you're right. Victory, victory at last. <laughs> only two episodes. Only I feel like that long. is due a huge congratulations to us for getting our names right. Cheers and to congratulations. That. 
And congratulations, Kristen. Thank you. And now I really want to talk about our parade essay this week. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, Kristen wrote about granting ourselves grace and finding joy in the roads that we choose, even if those roads are not the ones we intended, which I think is something our guests will be able to speak to also. You know, um, this essay really meant a lot to me. Um, It's really hard for me to get personal in my writing. And this was a very personal essay for me because I've struggled this year a lot with feeling like I'm falling short in every single area of my life because I'm really trying to stretch myself too thin. Mm -hmm. So my biggest worry is that because of that, my son isn't getting what he needs from me. And so that's kind of what I talked about. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm curious though, how have you ladies found ways to grant yourself a little bit of grace and forgiveness over this last year, which I think has been difficult. I mean, I I think it's been Mm -hmm. kind of a tough year for all of us. Christy. Um, I have had to let go of my to-do lists just a little bit because I feel like, like I'm very like structured and I have a million things on my list all the time. And um, not that I don't still have them, but I have to be like, okay, maybe today it didn't all get done. And sometimes you have to sleep at some point. So just, we got to let it go a little bit. And it's just been a crazy year. And, you know, you never knew what this week was going to hold or next week was going to hold. And, um, you know, it was just, we all had to be a little different. Yeah, that's true. And I think that we're so easy offering grace to each other and so mm-hmm. hard on ourselves. Yes. You know, we say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I dropped that ball. And we're all like, ah! you know, we all are dropping balls. But then we get alone with ourselves and we're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. Yes. So the very idea that I had to do everything and do it right had to be shuffled, swept under the rug along with all the dust bunnies I hide. Because when this all first started, I thought, oh, look at all this free time. I'm going to clean out the attic. I'm going to learn Gaelic, which I actually started to try and do. I did. I was, got on Duolingo and started. I thought I'm a mandolin. Uh, yeah, see? Oh, my God. See, I thought I'd write at okay. least two other books. And instead, I struggled like the rest of us and hung on by a thread. Yeah. Well, yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, I have to laugh because how many of us have little instruments or things that we meant to do in the closet now? You know, when I wrote The Summer of Lost and Found, which was set against the pandemic, it was a struggle. And I I think in the end, though, I learned the lesson that I really needed to learn for the rest of my life. And that is just worry about today. Just live today to the fullest. We get to choose how the day is going to run. And we can just do the best we can. So rather than worry about tomorrow, take a deep breath like Kristen's yeah. going to do tonight when she goes to bed <laughs> and just say, I'm living today to the fullest. Can I have another glass of champagne? Exactly. That's yeah. what answer. <laughs> I think I finally learned to let go and to ask for help um, and not to be so... Um, controlling about my Mm -hmm. personal standards with some things. So I did that. I asked my, I asked for help and my family stepped up. My husband stepped up and helped with the cooking and the shopping and the house upkeep. Um, And the rest of my family um, stepped in too, to help out with whatever came along. And I got real comfortable, probably too comfortable Mm -hmm. with all of my imperfections. Well, but but I think that's a good thing. I mean, none mm-hmm. of us are perfect, and and it just the living in our own skin. I think that um, 
think the more you can do that, the happier we are, and then the better we're mm-hmm. able to move forward. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to hear you all saying this too. I, I do feel like we're kind of all in this together. Mm-hmm. All right. But enough about us because we have two amazing guests tonight. So we do. And remember, as we're chatting, if you have questions for Mary or for Sonali, please, please put them in the comments. You know how much we love to take your questions. But Christy, do you want to kick things off tonight since I know Sonali is an old friend of yours? Yes. Well, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> we don't battle, but we've known each other for, gosh, like four or five years now, which is really hard to believe. Um, we became tall poppy writers together, um, sort of really early on in our writing careers. And I had the best time hanging out with her in person in real life for the first time in Chicago, where she now lives. Um, she was actually raised in Mumbai, India. She's a USA Today bestselling author who writes what she calls Bollywood style love stories that explore universal issues. How universal, you ask? Well, shelf awareness calls her not only one of the best, but one of the bravest romance novelists working today. That's awesome. That I'd like that peg. Yeah, that's pretty, that's right? pretty hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sonali's novels have been on Library Journal, NPR, Washington Post, and Kirkus's Best Book of the Year list. Wow. She has won the American Library Association's Award for Best Romance, the RT Reviewer Choice Award for Best Contemporary Romance, multiple RT Seals of Excellence, which is Romantic Times, and has been a Rita finalist and has even been listed for the Dublin Literary Award. And Mary Bly is in one way a little bit like me. She's written most of her best-selling books under a pseudonym. Mine, of course, is Mary Kay Andrews. It's not a secret. It's not my real name. But um, Mary's pseudonym is Eloisa James, a name lots of you probably know well, considering she has published more than 30 historical romances, which have been translated into 26 languages and have sold more than 7 million copies worldwide. And I have to wow. tell you that I hadn't read those. I hadn't read romance in a while until I was, um, working on, um, my book, um, uh, summer rental and the little library in hmm. Nags Head had a, a shelf of, of uh, Regency romances. And I picked up an Eloisa James and I was instantly, instantly a huge fan. That's awesome. Wow. Well, under her real name, Mary Bly, she's quite remarkable too. Oh my goodness. Now buckle your seatbelt. She holds <laughs> I know, a bachelor's. Right? I know. I'm a- <laughs> from Harvard, a master philosophy degree from Oxford, and a PhD from Yale. Don't you think she could have gone? That sounds made up. I know. (laughs) Wait, 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 wait till you hear the rest. You're totally going to make this That's just starting off. She's a professor of English literature specializing in Shakespeare at Fordham University in New York City, where she lives during the school year. But during the summer, she jets off to Florence, Italy with her husband, who just happens to be now, wait for it, a <laughs> cavaliere, an Italian knight. Right. So, okay, this part makes me truly <laughs> jealous. Amazing. We cannot wait to dig in with both of them. Welcome, Sonali and Mary. <laughs> Hi, ladies. Hi, ladies. Hi. Y'all are amazing. (laughs) I know, both of you. My goodness. We are so glad you're here, ladies. Yeah, and we 
really can't wait to hear about everything. But Mary, will you start us off by giving us the elevator pitch for Lizzie and Dante, which just came out yesterday. So she had her book birthday yesterday, y'all. Happy birthday, Lizzie and Dante. Thank you. I had Hagen Doss to celebrate, but now I realize I should have had champagne with you guys. Lizzie and Dante is the story of a Shakespeare professor who goes to Elba, which is a little island off the shore of Italy where I've gone every summer and taken my children because that's what Italian families do. And it's not a fancy island like Capri. It's an island where Italians take their children. And, and so... I created this story of a Shakespeare professor who goes there and falls in love with an Italian chef. My husband, unfortunately, is not a chef, but he is Italian. <laughs> so there's a lot of my own life in here. There's a um, the chef has a 12 year old daughter named Edda, and I have to say I borrowed a lot from my daughter, <laughs> a lot from my daughter. I borrowed a lot from my life, and and I. I think it fits in really well with what you guys were saying about choosing your time because Lizzie has been given a cancer diagnosis and she's got to decide whether she wants to go ahead with treatment or not. So she's really thinking about time as a limited resource as what can you do with time. And I just want to say right up front that she does go for treatment and she does get to go back to Elba, you know, made several years in a row and it's not, there's no um, horrible death scene at the end of it. <laughs> Okay, I am so relieved to hear that because I have like two and a half chapters left and I was really concerned. <laughs> no, she chooses. Obviously, she chooses to go back and have treatment. And treatment for everyone cancer is amazing. And there's a lot of Shakespeare. So, I mean, it's <laughs> true. Okay. Yeah, there could be a tragic twist. Yeah. Um, Sonali. Um, we all agree. And sense and sensibility is one of the best titles that we have heard in ages. And it comes out July 6th, right? Yes. Yes. And, uh, first I have to say that, um, uh, my husband sells software. So I feel really small right now. <laughs> He's not a knight. He's not a Sonali. He's not a knight. He's not a knight. I want to go to really clever a pun about night and you know sales and no nothing got nothing. He says takes good care of us, and now I don't know. Anyway, but I will say that my son, the one who came up with that title when he was in middle school, so there is something. Oh wow! Yeah, I was. Uh, this was back in 2013 when I was just, you know, thinking of these books. I had this grand idea that I wanted to retell. Um, I wanted to tell stories, you know, that paid homage to my four favorite Austin novels that are set in, um, you know, in the Indian culture, but are scene by scene retellings, but more lessons I've learned as a person. And uh, so I had these ideas, and I, you know, it was going to be. Um, as I was thinking about them, I was kind of quickly riffing uh, the concepts with him. I had nothing more than just that. And just like that, he is like incensed and sensibility because I said yoga instructor and sense and sensibility. And he was like incensed and sensibility. So awesome. That's so good. Where it came from. So this is, um, you know, th this is the story of a man who's running for California governor, uh, a man who um, is from comes from immense amounts of privilege and um i mean the family is it's an, a very it's a politically ambitious indian american family descended from royalty in india who've made a life for themselves in san francisco and he's running for california governor 
and kicks off months before the election when there is an assassination attempt, and uh, his body bodyguard is critically injured. And this is a man who has known exactly what he wants to do with his life all his life, and he, you know, he knows his path, all of that. And that one incident just totally throws him off his game. And it's three months before all his dreams and his family's dreams and his community's dreams are about to come true. And um, wow. he cannot he cannot get on a stage. And of course, uh, the only person who can help him without it leaking to the press is um, his sister's best friend, who is a stress management coach and yoga guru. And, um, and well, um, of course, they had a moment 10 years ago. And now he's with someone else and has been for everyone to see for 10 years. So this is, of course, Sense and Sensibility. So he's Edward Ferris, but he's an Edward Ferris I actually like. So, <laughs> that's that, awesome. um, so, so it's 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 basically you know dreams. Uh, you know what you want for yourself, what you carry for others, um, and 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 how um, you know how you navigate that. Love that. Awesome. Thank you. So to all of you out there, remember to put your own questions for Mary and Sonali in the comments. We fully, we hopefully, if we still have time, we'll be pulling a few to ask. But for now, Mary Alice, do you want to start us off with a question? I do. Thank you. Let me begin with Mary, please. I've seen interviews with you where you've talked about your love of Italy and in particular, the things Italy has taught you about life and the enjoyment of life. And that shines through in all your pages of the book. It really does. So I'm curious, can you talk about what you've learned and how important that was for you when you created the Lizzie and Dante? Of course. I mean, I, I will say that I think that Italy and Alba is like a fifth character in the book, right? Exactly. It, I'm in love with my characters and I'm in love with the island and and. So one of the things I learned, I came from a very workaholic family. I mean, my my parents, when it was to become, be like, what's your project? What are you writing? They're both writers, right? So I'm I'm absolutely the product of my parents. I work all the time and I'm a professor. And when I'm not being a professor, I'm writing. But my husband um, is also a professor. But when he goes to Italy and he's on the beach, he just does the crossword puzzle. And my mother-in-law can spend the entire day cooking. You know, she'll she'll cook some wonderful thing, have lunch. You all get warm with lunch. Then you have a little sonolino. And then, you know, you might clean a little bit. And then you start cooking for dinner. And you only buy the food that day that you're going to cook that day. And your life is, they have a way of enjoying the time that mm. I wanted to bring into this book. Oh, wow. I love that. It sounds so wonderful right now, especially. Yeah. I think it, it, I mean, the book took me four and a half years. So <laughs> I admire you guys so much writing contemporary novels. I found it very difficult. But um, but so it's pre-pandemic, as it were. In but you also know the area so well. I mean, you wrote about what you're, you really knew. That's yeah. wonderful. Um, thank you. And I have a follow-up for Sonali. Um, Mary teaches us some lessons about life as we know it by giving us insight into the Italian mindset. And in your novels, you do the same by giving us a window into the Indian American family. So is there anything in particular you hope that readers take away after reading your book? So first, anyone who reads Mary's book and doesn't want to go to Elba instantly, I guess, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> impossible. Ever since I've read it, I'm like, okay, that's the next trip. And that's when can we go to Italy? Um, Why did Napoleon want to leave? 
<laughs> it's it's just gorgeous and um I, I i swear i've been to elba just by reading that book and i still want to go i think mm. for me um you know it's always a it's it's a complicated thing i grew up in india but my children are born and raised here so i have this very unique experience of having um children who have a life experience that's very intrinsic to who they are that i i can never truly internalize right because mm -hmm. i moved to this country when i was a um, grown adult when i was very confident mm -hmm. in my skin so my experience of being othered happened when i already knew who i was mm -hmm. i faced children who uh, were the only brown kids in their school when they were in you know preschool and first grade and they've had to they, they've had to navigate this journey that i can never truly understand so I mean, we all have children who have experiences different from ours, but I think that's a very, very um, unique and uh, almost character-forming experience that I can ever have. One of the main things um, in everything I say, whether it's you know in books I write, in articles I write, a lot of it when I started out was about if I could get one person to to meet someone who doesn't look like them. And um, and not and not treat them as someone who is different. Yeah. If I can change one person, you know, and I can feel if if one person meets an Indian child and thinks, oh, I know her, know him, and know her, that I will have done something. So that's very young mother of young children sort of you know selfish, um, almost motive to my writing. Not selfish at all. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a desensitization, which I think is really important. And we're seeing that's a lot of that. And it's so, it's so important. Yeah. That only comes from from putting yourself in someone's shoes. And what better yeah. way than a school to do that, right? I mean, so true. Was the, that, that was the big thing when I went into this. I want to have my grandchildren have... A different and my kids are very comfortable. They are very all American, you know, all of that. But there is this, like, you know, there is that one thing that's different, and I want my grandchildren to have that be a half thing that's different. And yeah. that's beautiful. To have nothing. So that that was my main thing. My other thing, and I know I'm going on, was um, was that all South Asian literature is about immigrant angst and pain. Um, and I and and that's I mean that's not who we are we believe it or not have a little yeah. bit of fun <laughs> you know <laughs> so so i wanted that part of you know that having no boundaries having being a community where families have no boundaries where uh, you know where and that that can be a rope that you know stifles you and that can be a rope that yanks you out of the worst grief and you know kind of grounds you and so i wanted mm -hmm. that part i want that part of uh, south asian life to be alive on the page instead of mm. just thank you. Page. I love that. Yeah. Oh, Sonali, just I keep I, I found myself. You're talking. I'm leaning in. I'm yeah. leaning in. I'm leaning in. Like that's amazing. I, I want to meet. It makes me want to meet your family. You know, oh. it makes me want to see all of them. So oh. I know this is your third Jane Austen retelling from an Indian American perspective. So I'm also curious what draws you to Austen in particular, mm -hmm. and what draws you to providing this new take on a well-known classic? What is it about the retelling that is perfect for you and perfect for the time we're living in? So, so Austin, of course, we read her 
in a historical context, but she was a contemporary author. She was commenting on the on her current world. And oh, so interesting. Okay. It was it was she was and of course um you know I'm a contemporary author and um I wanted to comment on my current world. But but the the interesting thing is that my first introduction to Austin was when I was in middle school and it was through an Indian TV show that was the retelling of Pride and Prejudice. Oh, wow. And as a seventh grader, as a woman that young, every all the messages, all the stories around me um, was women who, you know, who, who conformed, women who, um, you know, did, uh, who made themselves likable. And my first experience with, um, with a heroine who wanted something uh, who had an opinion, who, uh, you know, who did not pander to the opposite sex or to elders or any of that and got what she wanted in the end. So I was reading a lot of literature back then, uh, living in India, thanks to colonization, um, educated in English and all of that. And so reading a lot of British um, classics. And everything I was seeing was when a woman wanted something in a story, uh, you know, she either had to accept her lot and that's how she found happiness or everything ended in, you know, in a lunatic asylum or, you know, <laughs> being a ghost to a man who was yelling her name into the darkness. So it always ended in death and destruction when women had desires. Wow. Lizzie Bennett was the first woman whose choice was between destitution and one of the richest men in England. And she chose destitution because she thought he was a jerk. And I was like, this thing I had inside me uh, that I don't know where it came from, it found validation. And I, I was mm. out, I was in the library, I checked those books out. And so she changed me as a person. She changed the trajectory of my life. She, so, so it's it's more than just oh i love this book i want to retell it these these stories to me are homages to what i learned from her so they're homages mm. to my lessons uh, of what i learned from her wow wow if there's a reason to honor her in retellings yeah. baby you just said it like, yeah just yeah. nailed it that's awesome <laughs> So, Mary, of course, as we mentioned, you are a Shakespeare professor, and I am in the middle of reading Hamnet right now, and mm -hmm. so I want to go back and research. It makes me so fascinated with that time period and with who he was and how he became what he was. So the classics must mean a lot to you, too. So why do you think we're at a moment in literary time where there are so many modern retellings, or at least references to classic stories. How do these stories from the past still manage to be so relevant today? Well, I'm gonna spring right off Sonali and say, because a lot of them actually changed people's lives. And those people already know, right? So um, I would, in Jane Austen had a huge effect on women in so many ways. I mean, in marriage choices, but also she was one of the first women who really made a huge career if she'd wanted to in writing. And there was a bunch of other women writing at the same time. They're called silver spoon novelists. They were essentially romance novelists. And so, but she's, she's the, the largest example we have of a woman who had a career in writing and wrote what are now classics. And so when you're looking at people like Shakespeare or Jane Austen, 
I think they have such weight for us now because they're some of the first voices that we read early on. And there's a reason why we read them, right? These, these are books that actually can change people's lives. So I've been teaching Romeo and Juliet for 20 years and I've taught it differently over my entire life. I'm much more interested now in the fact that they grabbed at what time there was, right? at the time they had if you'd ask them if you'd said hey you only have two days so are you sure you want to go up on the balcony and have sex and they would have been absolutely down the line especially juliet you know she was she's the first woman on the english stage to propose marriage to a young man she Mm -hmm. was the first person to express desire her epithelium, which is the opening, you know, when she talks about, I have, I have, um, you know, I, I bought a house, but I haven't, I bought, I'm like a suit of new clothes. I haven't been worn and I bought a house, but I haven't lived in it. She's actually talking about sleeping with a man in that scene. And there's nothing like it. So awesome. years afterwards, there's all these parodies that go up in the stage where young women come out in the balcony and are like, Oh, I have to have sex right now. Because <laughs> from that we can tell just how revolutionary Romeo and Juliet was. Yeah. So I'm, I wanted Lizzie and Dante because there's a 12 year old girl who's right on the cusp of puberty and Juliet is 13. You know, I wanted that um, Etta to have that sense. When you read it, you'll see that she, she's, you don't have to have read Romeo and Juliet ever, but she had it in class and she didn't agree with the teacher. And by the end, she's got her own idea of who Juliet is, and that's important to her and will be important in her life. You know, Juliet asks Romeo to marry him. Juliet desires Romeo. That's something we don't think about. Well, when these classics, yes, and when these classics um, rise up again, um, my my October novel is a little bit about the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And when you take these stories that are so loved and you apply them to modern day characters, they're alive again in a new way. So I love that that's what both of you are doing. What a beautiful way to put it, Patty. I totally Mm -hmm. agree. Mm -hmm. Mary, you chose our bookstore, New York City's book culture tonight. Can you tell us a little bit about what this store means to you? Sure. It's my, it's my, you know, my local, it's a block and a half down the street. And like a lot of Indies, it has struggled during the pandemic. They had three, um, you know, three locations. They lost one on 86th street. And so I've, I really wanted to um, be particularly empathetic that people, if they can, because, you know, we can't all go buying hardcovers all the time, but the 10% should help. And I, I just want to say that I went to Book Culture today and I signed a huge table worth of books. Yay. That's awesome. So they are there waiting for you personalized. And so please, you know, give them a try. They are a wonderful bookstore. I bought children's books there. I bought every kind of thing. I bought my kitchen cloths there. I just try to support them in every way I can. I found incredible books there. I found cookbooks, you know. Just it's an indie bookstore that's close to you that has wonderful choices is something that can really change your life. You can walk in and find a book on a table that someone you know and you respect recommended and go home and jump into it. Whereas, you know, I like Barnes and Noble, too. But if you walk into a Barnes and Noble, you know, it's kind of who paid most for that table. That's a very different situation. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and this is a great time for me to remind everybody that, as usual, you can get 10% off the purchases of all of the Friends and Fiction authors' new books, as well as Lizzie and Dante by Mary Bly and Incense and Sensibility by Sonali Dev with the coupon code FF21. And that brings me back to Mary. You know, you have kind of taken the opposite track from me. I started writing fiction under my own name. Then I switched to a pseudonym because I was kind of switching genres. I had been writing straight up mystery. And when I wrote another book, Savannah Blues, um, my publisher decided to market it more as women's fiction. But you did something different. Um, You had huge success writing as Eloisa James. And then this year, you reclaimed your real name. And I think I remember we, our tracks have, our paths have crossed. I've got to stop drinking. (laughs) I've got to stop drinking, but not anytime soon. Our paths have crossed several times uh, at romance conferences and things. And I think I remember hearing you say some time ago that you originally chose a pseudonym because you feared professional backlash from the academic world um, that did not have any kind of respect and in fact had nothing but, um, um, hmm, what would that word be? Disgust, maybe. (laughs) Contempt, that word, that thank you. You must know do words for a living. (laughs) Contempt. Has the world finally changed and made romance almost dare I say it, respectable? I think it has changed. I, think I it's do. Yeah. A huge amount since when I started writing. So I've been writing for 20 years. And I um, I remember when I when I first told the chair of my department, um, Midnight Pleasures was going to be in People Magazine. It was the page turner of the week. And they said, we'll give you a half page if we put your picture in. And so I went and I disclosed to him my scandalous second career. And he said, please, you will never get tenure. He was probably right. So it ran, I only got a third of a page. You guys all know what this means, right? The publisher was like tearing the hair out. Um, But I did a secret until I hit the New York Times and I got tenure. And then I told everyone because I I didn't want my readers to feel as if I was ashamed of them. On the other hand, I wanted to get tenure. So, you know, I did that. And I think things have really changed. I mean, there's a huge amount of feminist scholarship on romance, for example, that's had a huge effect on sort of looking at how women um, write to other women about desire or how women write to other women about what marriage should be like. These are books that slip under the radar of a lot of what we call patriarchal society, which is, you know, a society run by men and, and romances just go everywhere and they kind of have very different stories about what kind of experience you should be having with your husband. So, <laughs> is any is, do you think any of this has to do with the the very new Bridget Bridgeterization <laughs> of popular culture? The Mary Bridgeters? Kay just made up a word. I like this that. Happens a lot. It happens a lot. So <laughs> Mary, can that be a word? Yes. yes. You're yes. a professor. Mary Kay. She yes. is an she is an academic. I think she, she, she knows. <laughs> And she's known Julia Quinn for a very long time. I do. Right. Yeah. She's one of my best friends. And I'm actually talking to her after you guys today. So that's lovely. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. Um, well, I think that I, I actually think that Bridgerton will have an effect, um, but I think that Bridgerton's incredible success falls on the tailcoats of these young feminist scholars and other scholars saying, hey, this stuff is great. Look how many people are reading it, you know, and sort of filtering it into the mainstream so that people realize it's not just a silent reading group. There's people studying it and it makes the papers all the time and people write articles on it. And that's why I think finally somebody had, excuse me, but the balls to actually buy the Bridgertons and then make such an incredible success of them. Except that the woman who bought the, except that the person who bought the Bridgertons doesn't actually possess balls because it's Shonda Rhimes. Am I right? That is true. And she's fabulous. But I think, well, yeah, so that's not a fair analogy at all. But I do think that a lot of people don't realize in the Hollywood, in the publishing industry in general, but mostly in Hollywood, just how powerful women's women readers are. You know, I think like all y'all's books should be movies. There's we agree. Books. We agree. <laughs> well, we can Sonali, talk a long time about this. Yeah, <laughs> Sonali, I'm not sure that a lot of people know this, but you write under a pen name too, derived from your maiden name, right? Yes. Yeah. So I read a quote from you in the Chicago Reader where you said. It's about creating this identity that belongs entirely to me. And I thought that was really powerful. Can you talk a bit about how writing under a pseudonym has given you has given you some freedom and changed your life? Uh, so so it's uh, it's it's this really strange thing because it was not about anonymity at all for me. It was um, I, I, I kind of it was just a thing. I had a full time job, but I was always mm-hmm. really proud of uh, what I was doing and what stories I was telling. Mm-hmm. I come from, you know, having watched Bollywood movies all my life, which mm-hmm. are structurally the original ones, uh, or rather the older ones, very much romance novels. And mm-hmm. so, you know, really I got into romance novels when I when that, when that connection, you know, snapped in my head. So it was more um, a thing people did, and I'm like, hmm, were I to have a pseudonym, what would it be? And my maiden name is Maya Dave. So I split that and it was Maya Dave, which seemed like a really, you know, great pseudonym. Mm-hmm. And then people started to call me Maya. And I was like, who? And it just would not work for me. And I realized mm-hmm. that Sonali, which actually was a name I, I did not, I was kind of upset with my parents for much of my childhood for giving me because there was always four Sonalis in the class. So, you know, <laughs> the class I was in, it was like being named Jane in Jane's day. <laughs> so yeah. it was, I was like, I wanted a, you know, unique name and they called me Sonali. Like it's so, I was always called by my last name because there were four Sonalis in every class. Ah, that I was in. Interesting. So, so, but this was a moment where I was like, oh my gosh, I am Sonali. Like I cannot be anyone else. And that name is such a part of my identity. Yeah. And so I couldn't be Maya and I was Sonali. But the last name just fit with that. And so it became Maya Dave. But then I started to find that it was, um, it just, it was, it because I created my own identity when I started to write and when I started mm-hmm. pursuing. Um, and I always had support, but I also didn't have support the moment I decided to quit my job and make this, you know, focus on this full time. 
without mm-hmm. being in a place where I could financially afford it. So it put a whole lot of pressure on our marriage. Um, you know, and I, I always talk about this because the thing that people, you know, who aspiring authors always hear is, you know, like my kids will say, oh, I'm so grateful to my children for eating pizza for two weeks, you know, for two months. That's what my kids will say, all authors say at, you know, at signings. So you always hear the support and there is support. But there is also struggle when you decide, I want something. And I want to really be that. And I think that was so tied in, that ability to fight. Like, I will give up whatever I have to give up. And I will fight. But I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do it my way. And it's painful, and you've all been through it, right? I mean, we've not, one of us has not had the moment when our spouse has said something subversive that comes from the patriarchy. That is not this person being a bad person, but this conditioning that, that someone, you know, that your mother-in-law, your mother will say something, why don't you, you know, why don't you write a real book? Or why don't you something? <laughs> or, oh, yes. <laughs> right? It's just yeah. all. But Sonali Dave is the one who was 100% sure she was going to fight him. So that. Wow. I love that. So- that is awesome. Oh, I love that so much. <laughs> All right, ladies. Now, no Friends in Fiction episode will be complete without taking some questions from our members who give this community its heartbeat. Mary Kay, do you want to start us off? Yeah. Hang on a second, because I'm uh, a little bit lost. <laughs> Big news. Big news. Okay, I've got it. Um, Tanya Jackson wants to know, um, and I guess this is for either of you. Do you, when you write, do you have music in the background? No. <laughs> I, um, I don't have, have it while I'm writing, but I have a soundtrack, especially to my love stories. I have a soundtrack. So this, oh, one, nice. song, this one song will take on my imagination. And then um, I listen to it so much that after I'm done with the book, Everyone in my family like turns it off instantly. <laughs> 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 Enough reflex. Enough. That. So I do have a soundtrack. That's awesome. All right. Well, I have one from Lynn Miller Hill who would like to know for both of you when you are writing your book, do your characters let you write their story or do they bug you until you write the story the way they want it to be? <laughs> <laughs> I revised my book over four and a half years. So those poor characters. Mary. Oh, no. Mary. <laughs> Humbled. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've had a long career and it was a big switch to writing about people who are alive now. Yeah. You know, if you think about it. I mean, I've yeah. I've never met a Duke. I grew up on a farm in Minnesota. I mean, you're probably going on about Harvard, Oxford, and Yale, but I grew up on a farm in Minnesota, two miles outside a town of 2000. So, I mean, wow. I have a big wish to get out and I got through my world. <laughs> yeah. But then to switch from writing about Dukes and Regency ballrooms, which I've never met a Duke and then writing about something I know so well, you know, being a professor, marrying an Italian, having a 12 year old going to Italy, being diagnosed with cancer. I was diagnosed with cancer. Um, you know, I'm absolutely fine, but there's a way in which that changes you. So yeah. it was very hard to write a book that has so much of me in it, so much of my heart in it, 
and so much of my life in it, really. Oh, wow. What an incredible thing to do. Yeah, I didn't realize. Yeah. But it took so long. I think it was, oh you know, yeah. but we all want to keep growing and learning, right? Yeah. If you're a writer, you know, with my career has been so long. And Mary Kay, I'm sure you've seen this too. Like people came along and then they they sort of disappeared. They they stopped yeah. writing. They didn't switch yeah. genres. Or they didn't try something yeah. new. And they kind of fade out. So That's a good yeah. you have to bra- be brave. Take those brave steps. Yeah. You got to do. You have to keep yeah. learning. Now mm-hmm. you might need another name like Sonali. I don't know. Sonali, how about you? Do your do your characters let you? Uh, guide them or is it vice versa? I think that a lot of what I write is what I want to say. It has to do with what I want to say. So it's there is this moment when that character becomes, you know, it, there's a moment when that thing snaps in place. Um, and, and it's, it, so it is a mix of both things. It's certainly, I think they just come from my own mind. So when people mm-hmm. say, well, the characters are telling me what to do, I, it's, I know what they mean, but my characters are, you know, a, a, a result of what I want to say. So you know, it's kind of a mix of uh, those things. And Mary, I have to say, I've, you know, I know because we're friends, this book was literally like having Mary whisper in my ear the entire time. Oh, oh, I love that. I love that. And we've talked about this, right, Mary? Yeah. Read, read a very early version, you know. And it just, it was, I, it was, it was such a joyous experience to just hear because Mary is very professorial in her writing. Her craft is so perfect in her historicals. She's, you know, she, she, but, but this is Mary Raw, like all of her. (laughs) Mary Raw, I love it. Well, Love Mary, it. Mary, 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 there you go. Next time you need a pseudonym, Mary Raw. Mary Raw. I think I've got to pick a your genre. Don't you think? <laughs> I was going to say, you want to completely genre. switch genres. But you said, yeah. take a risk, Mary. <laughs> so, Mary and Sonali, every week, one of our favorite parts of the show is receiving a writing tip from our guests. Do each of you have a quick writing tip you can offer to our audience? Sonali, you go first. I go first in this, says the professor. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> I, I think that there are two things you have to know. And one is what do you want to say in this book, right? And that is a thing you figure out along the way. And then the book is done when you know that. Um, mm. And it also can't start unless you know that. But I think to get there, it's important <laughs> to give yourself the permission to write crap. I think for me, I would write nothing if I didn't allow myself yeah. to suck. Because if I sit down there trying to write this perfect thing that I want to write, then I don't write. So so I have to be able to vomit crap yes. on the page yes. and then find beauty in it. Yeah. You know, between those two things, I think, lies your story. You're so yeah. I'll just build right off Sonali and say... Um, I think that you, when you're when you're writing, you have to write crap, right? But basically, you also have to take advice. I think you have to bury your ego to some extent. I mean, the reason one of the reasons this book took four and a half years is I wrote it, and in a year I was like, "This is utterly brilliant," and I gave it to my agent, and she ripped it to pieces. And I was like, "Oh my god!" I took another year, and I rewrote it, and she ripped it to pieces two August in a row. Last night we actually had a. 
a glass of wine on Zoom. And, and I reminded her of that and she'd forgotten it. But the fact is, in those moments, she, she said to me, you know, Mary, if you want to publish like this, I know I can find a publisher for you. But I think, and I think it's very, very difficult for all of us to say, I think this is a great book and I may well be wrong. Or I may well have to accept the fact that what I think is brilliant maybe isn't quite so brilliant. And if I just kept working at it, you know, give yourself time. It's like what Sonali said. you got to write crap. Accept that you're writing crap and then make it better. Edit. Mm-hmm. It's a great tip. And it's so true. It's, it's not being afraid to write what you want to write, but to make sure you have the craft to back it up. All right, I get to say, um, ask you the, if you have any books, speaking of wonderful books, books you'd like to recommend. Let's start with you, Mary. Do you have any books you'd like to recommend tonight? I just finished Susan Lillis Phillips' next book, which is coming out, and it's called When Stars Collide, and it's about a football player and an opera singer who on tour together, and I absolutely loved it. It's one of the Chicago Stars books, but it's classic Susan. I mean, I love all her books, but this one is just classic Chicago Stars, you know, turn the page and you... You laugh out loud. Yeah. yeah, it's a very happy book. And then I, I want to give you a second one, which is that I've been obsessed for the last month with a writer called Talia Hibbert, H-I-B-B-E-R-T. And I think her romances are so amazing. And just to give you an example why, a lot of us have written curvy heroines. I've written them myself. But Talia's curvy heroines, you know, curvy heroines often end up having like these little waists and they're so beautifully shaped and the men are like, oh, my God, I love, you know, I love the hourglass figure. And, you know, you're you're talking Marilyn Monroe. And what Talia Hibbert does is create a much more authentic female body and then have the guy absolutely lusting beyond belief for her thick thighs, for example. And I, I just find it so refreshing and wonderful and, and real to life. You know, guys don't necessarily want everyone to look like Marilyn Monroe. They don't. And they are full of lust. And she does that brilliantly. So I suggest Talia Hibbert and Susan Phillips next book, When Stars Collide. I love that. How about you, Sonali? Do you have a book to recommend? Yes, and I also want to say I'm here to tell you that men like thick ties. (laughs) 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 Sounds like a song. Yeah. Right now I'm reading Kristen Higgins' um, Mm. Act of the Moon, which comes out a week from today on June 8th. And she is breaking my heart. This is a book about a wife um, who has a terminal illness and dies and leaves behind 12 letters to get her grieving husband through the first year. So it is a heartbreaker and you will laugh out loud in parts. So this book is an emotional roller coaster. Again, Kristen is a friend and one of my favorite authors ever. Nobody writes humor and emotion like her and i'm you know this close to just picking up the phone and yelling at her like what are you doing to me like i'm dying so it's 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 gorgeous and funny and heartbreaking and i'm not at the end um uh, but 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 i know i'm in good hands and that's you know that that's good and well awesome. um uh, Mary, my other friend, who had said to me that, you know, she's going to die before I even started the book. And so then I was like, okay, 
but even even Mary's is delightful. Like there are there are so these two books back to back. Uh, you know, that's why I'm called brave, I guess, because I can do those two books back to back. But also uh, this book called The Dating Plan, which is by Sarah Desai. Her first one was called uh, The Marriage Game, and her second one is called uh, The Dating Plan, and it's true. Uh, rom-com because it's hilarious the banter is fabulous and it's these um these indian families in this indian community that is so over the top nuts that <laughs> just it's just the most delightful thing ever she's absolutely delight- delightful and, thank you yeah, thank you Patty, quickly, do you want to just give on behalf of Friends in Fiction the two big book recommendations we have? Absolutely. We just want to tell you all real quick, two Friends in Fiction friends, two Friends in Fiction friends, (laughs) had books out yesterday, um, including Lindsay Rogers Cook in her Learning to Speak Southern and also Ellen Hildebrand with her Golden Girl, which we all cannot wait to read. All right, Mary and Sonali, stick around. We're going to have one more question for you at the end, and it is going to be a rapid-fire question, which is unfortunate because it's a question that we should delve deep, but we are running out of time. But (laughs) stick around and and be prepared to answer in 10 words or less. Patty, hit it with the podcast. (laughs) First, we just want to remind all of you out there that we now have our Friends in Fiction Writer's Block podcast. As we told you last week, we have superstar librarian Ron Block, who we all know and love, is now the captain of our podcast ship. Because my shit metaphors will never end. (laughs) His first podcast with us under the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block banner will be next Friday on June 11th with Wade Rouse and Alyssa Friedland and that podcast and Christy Woodson Harvey. And that podcast is called Summertime. But this week on Friday, June 4th, for Audiobook Month, Mary Alice talks to audiobook narrator Cassandra Campbell, who narrated both Mary Alice and Christie's books. And she also talks to Dan Zitt of Penguin Random House Audio. You don't want to be missing these podcasts. Trust me. And don't forget to join the Friends of Fiction official book club hosted by our good friends, Lisa Harrison and Brenda Gardner. It's yet another way to stay connected with this great community and get behind the scenes looks at your favorite books. Right now, the book club is reading Mary Kay's brand new bestseller, The Newcomer, which they'll be discussing on June 21st with Mary Kay. And next up is Mary Alice's The Summer of Lost and Found. So this is your chance to ask the authors all your questions and really dig into the storylines while, hang- while hanging out with a fun group of friends and fiction friends. And what's a book club without snacks? Of course, you want to bring along Mama G's while you talk about The Newcomer. As always, you get 20% off all your orders on the website, mamageraldines.com with the code FAB5. And speaking of snacks and things that go with them, don't forget your story point, wine. Ta-da! I love this label. Um, we'll be telling like you more about our- the label. I know. It's I know. We'll be telling you more. Called story point. Perfect. Yeah, we'll be telling you more about our new partnership with them in our sip and stay with Story Point after show tonight. So stick around. And next week, join us right here at 7 p.m. for a special night with New York Times bestselling author Susan Wiggs. Also, next week we'll be getting a peek, a little peek, at the video trailer for Kristen's new novel, The Forest of Vanishing Stars, which is out in who's counting? 
five weeks. And she hit five number is the big number today. Yeah. Like you're lucky five. number today, Kristen. I know, I know, right? Wow. Five is the number of the day. <laughs> and if you're ever wondering about our schedule, it is always on the Friends and Fiction website as well on the sidebar of events on our Friends and Fiction Facebook page. All right, no. ladies, wait, wait, Mary Kay, I'm going to cut you off and ask them this last question because we are out of time. This has to be a super quick answer, ladies. We always ask our guests what is one influence or what, what influenced their reading and their love of literature as a child. Can you each name one influence in your early lives that led you to where you are today? Charlotte Webb. Charlotte Webb. <gasps> oh, oh, I love that. Love and it's about death. Oh, yes, yes. And Sonali? I think it's Indian mythology. My grandmother's telling me the stories. Oh, that's lovely. I love that so much. Grandmother. Ladies, thank you so much. Sorry to cut it short at the end. We just had such a lovely time talking to you tonight. Y'all are amazing. Amazing. So all of you out there, we encourage you to grab Lizzie and Dante, which just came out yesterday, and Incense and Sensibility, which comes out July 6th. Don't forget, you can get 10% off both books with the code FF21 at New York's Book Culture. Thank you so much, both of you, for joining us. Thank you. Y'all are awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And to all of you out there, please stick around for the Sip and Stay with StoryPoint After Show because we have a little surprise for you. I think it's a big one. Stay with us (laughs) and we will see you in just a minute in the After Show. Welcome back, everyone, to our Friends in Fiction Sip and Stay with StoryPoint After Show. I'm ready to sip. As we mentioned earlier, we are so happy to be partnering with StoryPoint Wines as the official sponsor of our after show. All summer long, it will be the summer of StoryPoint right here on Friends in Fiction. StoryPoint comes in three varietals, Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Cabernet. My personal favorite is the StoryPoint Chardonnay. And as they say at StoryPoint, many great stories and ideas unfold over a shared bottle of wine and who knows that better than us at friends and (laughs) true (laughs) we do indeed so every wednesday night throughout june july and august we hope you'll stick around for the friends and fiction after show Mm -hmm. to sip and stay with story point Mm-hmm. All right. And as we promised, we have a little surprise for those of you who have stuck around and we'll give you a clue. She's our very own golden girl. And we all know you love her. Alan, can we bring in our special surprise guest? <laughs> yes. Congratulations on Golden Girls. Oh, we are, so, we are so excited to see you. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in the back of my mother's car. I mean, this is like life, glamorous life on tour, right? Oh, oh my yes. gosh, um, you're in the back of your mother's car. That sounds, um, yep. I love it. <laughs> so, Ellen, tell us about Golden Girl and tell us about, about all the fun you're having with it this week. Okay, so I'm on to a live tour um and i went i was in rhode island last night and i'm in collegeville pennsylvania tonight which is my hometown and uh so golden girl is about a nantucket beach novelist who gets killed on page one she gets killed in a hit and run while she's jogging and she ascends into the beyond and she meets like an administrator 
named Martha who says, you know what, that was really unfair. So I'm going to let you watch what happens below on earth for the summer. And I'm going to give you the use of three nudges and you're going to be able to influence outcomes down below. And uh, so, you know, she's got three almost grown children. She's got a boyfriend, an ex-husband and a best friend. And she's watching all of them. And she learned her secrets. They learned her secrets. And it's just filled with drama. There's a little bit of a whodunit because she doesn't know who, ki- who killed her. And um, I really think, you know, you'll enjoy it. I hope. I hope. It's a great story. It's very it's original. Yeah. Oh, what an awesome premise. That's so cool. Well, we're so happy to be celebrating with you tonight. Mm-hmm. Yes. I know. Thank you. I wish I had wine, but I'm Oh, here, take us in the back of a car. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just commit to drinking double. Just for you. Yeah, you guys drink all night. So, since we're talking about stories, Ellen, it sounds like a little bit of this novel, Golden Girl, could be a little teensy bit autobiographical. I know. It was so much fun, you guys. It was so much fun to write about, like, the inside writer stuff like yeah vivia you know vivi has like this rival writer and there's like some, some professional jealousy in there and then there's some about like the new york times bestseller list and touring and the awesome. bookstores that she goes to and like trying to come up with the ideas and trying to sell her first book when you go back in time so i really think you guys will like, appreciate those parts of it. I, I drew on my own life obviously for that that's I can't yeah. wait. Yeah. We not- safe. You tell your mama to drive safe. And keep you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you so, so much for having me. I am so honored. I love you all so much. We love you. Bye, guys. Bye. Cheers. Goodbye. So what a great surprise that was. Great I mean, we had Delia last week, Ellen this week. You never know. Never know what's going to happen. Never exactly. know. Always comes to the story point after hours. That's all I can say. Oh, that's awesome. And what a great show that was tonight with Sonali and Mary. Oh, my they were gosh. Both. Oh, it was, yeah. it was powerful. We yeah, could have talked to them for another hour. I know, Easy. I know. And and I have to apologize to you ladies because I cut a couple of your questions short because we were no, really short on time. No, so I'm sorry to do with my dear. Steering no. the ship. Yeah. I have to say, I, I saw a couple of the comments and they were saying that, hey, gee, I would love to audit um, one yeah. of Mary's classes. And I thought, yeah. Yeah. Mary's, yeah. if you haven't read uh, Mary's Eloisa James Regency Romances, they're so they're smart. They're rooted in the classics. They're funny. Um, mm. They're sexy as hell. Yeah. And, um, I don't think I had when I when I you know when I was reading her all those years ago when I was staying in uh, Nags Head working on summer rental. Yeah. I it just really gave me a newfound appreciation for um the skills and the talent that goes into writing um yes. something it, it's like historic fiction, Kristen yeah. and and yeah. Patty. Um, so much research goes into it. Mm-hmm. And then you ha- it's such a skill set to me to be able to ha- have that research in the back of your mind, but not info dump. Put yes. the reader, put the reader right into the world of that book. And um yeah. And I think you, of course, you ladies do it so well, but um, I would love it if people would 
yeah. rediscover. And, you know, Julia Quinn with the Bridgertons is another great example. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, the Regency romances in particular have a, a, probably the strongest following of all. And there's so many conventions and you really know who knows their stuff. I love, I've been reading Regency romances for so long and they never get old. They're just so clever and the dialogue yeah. is so important and just the near touch. No one touches the near I mean, the little details are so beautifully done. I've never read one. Oh, Oh, wow. You will love it. I promise you, you will love it. And I would start with Eloisa James. All right. I would. I will. I couldn't believe she said that that her boss said she wouldn't get tenure. Oh, I can absolutely believe it. 100%. Especially going back 20 years. But you're right. It's it's stunning to think of now. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. And I know, Christy, I know you were going to ask about this tonight. But Eloisa or Mary has a great... um, a great uh, article that is linked to from her mm-hmm. website, eloisajames.com, which is an op-ed she wrote for the New York Times in defense oh, yes. of the romance genre. Yeah. And That's for great. any of you yeah. who have read romance or have considered reading romance or who have thought romance is not for you, I challenge you to read that essay because I think yeah. it really makes a good point just as, as um, Mary Kay just did about how it, it's, you know, it's not what you think. And and it's, it's not something to turn our noses up at. I mean, these mm-hmm. are beautiful stories that are in many cases 100%. just these, these beautifully researched historical novels and you know i think we, we make a mistake if we shortchange them you know yeah, you know they're well said Kristen. yeah they're about they're about the things that matter most they're about love yep. mm-hmm. they're about family life um yeah. so many of them are about the the conflicts yeah. that women are facing between um as sonali yeah. said what they want and what they can't have and how they get yeah. what they can't have. Um, yeah. And just to I look at the way it. that, go ahead. No, no, you start. I, 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 and it's fascinating to look at the way Sonali talked about the heroines change, right? Mm-hmm. They either, yes. the women, the women in the classics had to either accept their fate yes. or go insane. And then as time went on, the, the, the heroines changed in what they were allowed to want. Yeah. So, you know, Patty, what's interesting to tie into that is it's, she sort of went and answered the question about how books influenced you as an author. For sure, her being able to read the classics influenced her into another direction, didn't it? Yeah, yeah that's so true. I know I felt like it was such a shame that we didn't get to that question in a full way tonight because I think, yeah. you know, Mary's um, father was a... a um, a tremendously well-known uh, award-winning poet. So I think that would have been really interesting to oh, hear wow. her answer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Which, so that would have been interesting too. I, I'm sorry we didn't get to that. But mm-hmm. ladies, we, 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 we did. And it was, yeah, it was a great chat with them. They were both so interesting. Mm-hmm. And just what a night. What a night and what a great kickoff to this great partnership with StoryPoint. So, and just number, number five on the New York Times. Number five. I have this tiny little drop thank you so much and before we sign off tonight i do want to make it our mission for the week to show our new partner story point the power of friends in fiction Woo-hoo. so how many let's let's do this ladies how many new instagram followers do you think we can drum up for at story point wines Ooh. well let's see where they're at right now one minute <laughs> okay, the challenge. Oh, We're on. The challenge. Yeah, let's see. That's let's right. see. Mm-hmm. We know you ladies love a challenge. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so, so while Mary Kay is looking. <laughs> okay. 
How many it's 786. They have right okay. now, as of now, 786 followers. <laughs> we can. Okay. Okay. We, we, can, we get a blow on past a thousand. By That's the end what of I was going to say. Let's do it. A thousand. Yep. By yep. next show. Okay. So, so how many of you pop over there right now to Instagram at story point, point wines, follow them. Let's get them over a thousand. Yeah. And I bet it's a bunch. And got everyone out there, we're so grateful for your support. Yeah. 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 And we hope that you will support our new partner too, because our new partner is helping us do all of this. Keep our yeah. show going. Yeah. Plus, yeah. they make wine. I mean, that's what's not right. And it's yeah. so exactly. it's our brand. It is. It is. Yes, completely. Yeah. All right, everybody out there and all of you, thank you so much. That is it for us tonight. We will see you next week as we welcome Susan Wiggs to the show at 7 p.m. Yeah. Eastern on Wednesday. Thanks, ladies, and thanks, everyone out there. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night. Five. Take five. On Instagram. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. Join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And please, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.